Welcome and thank you for visiting the Straight Talk Podcast. We're talking wealth, finance, real estate. We're coming from a tell it like it is, keep it simple, help me understand, and give it to me straight approach. I'm Greg Coward, a guy who's been working on the front lines of finance and real estate now for 20 years. We're going to help you save money, point you in the right direction, keep it fun and keep it real. Thanks for joining. Let's roll. All right, all right, all right. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Straight Talk podcast. Uh, this is Greg Cowart, your fearless leader. Uh, thanking you for spending 20 minutes of your week, well, your day, to learn more about wealth, real estate, building wealth, and finances. Um, the idea here is to keep it simple, stupid, and really the KISS mantra, K-I-S-S, and try to help people with different concepts that they can implement into their own family lives and family budget to build wealth. And I'm really um, excited and a bit apprehensive about today's podcast. Um, this will be my first time trying this on my own. And it's not that I don't have wonderful guests who I'd love to invite who can educate us all and enrich our lives with different concepts that we don't know. But um, I kind of wanted to today try something that I, I personally talk to customers and clients about a lot and know pretty well. Um, so with that being said, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm Greg Cowart. I lead a team of mortgage professionals. We go by the Cowart team. I'm talking to you from the southeast of the United States. As we, as I record this, it's late August of 2023. Um, so let's let's jump right in. The topic for today is going to be the top three pillars of building wealth. So the top three pillars or top three concepts related to building wealth. And again, we're coming from a kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Um, concept, which is don't make it hard. Um, you know, life is complex. There's so much information out there. There's so, so many experts, so many talking heads. You know, if, if I'm 20, if I'm 40, um, I have three kids and my kids are in their twenties. What are, what are like the basics I should do to build wealth? Um, all right. So we're going to go through these different three pillars and, First of all, let me kind of just share with you, I don't think I've done this on the podcast, so I'll do it right now, kind of what qualifies me to talk about this. So a um, couple things. First of all, I really didn't have any money. Um, I am 50, and I did not really have any money until the age of 40. Uh, coming out of college, I chose to be an educator. I then went and got a master's degree in counseling and worked in the schools. I was a school counselor for really all of my 20s and really didn't shift over to finance and real estate and mortgage until I was age 30. Um, and like a lot of self-employment, a lot of commission jobs, it takes you a while to get some momentum. I had a young family and young families, if you haven't gone there, are very expensive. And so really it wasn't until I got a lot of momentum that um, – that I really started to accumulate some wealth. So you're not listening to a dude who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I'm not a member of the Lucky Sperm Club, which is in everybody's town. These are the people who are luck fortunate enough to be born into wealth or 
had their parents teach them about wealth. Um, that really wasn't something that was focused on in my family. I do think, and this is just an aside, man, what a responsibility each of us has as adults to teach our children about the game of money. Uh, you know, I, when I worked in the schools and even afterwards, they'll be like, you know, the schools should teach this stuff. And you know what? The schools should do a lot of things, but the schools are just doing their best just to open their doors and to try to outweigh some of the societal issues we see these days. The schools are not going to be teaching uh, building wealth, how fi personal finances work, and, and they don't do it well. That really should be done either in the community, in the church, or, or ideally, in my opinion, in the home. So, um, so kids, uh, if you're listening, um, hopefully you know some of this stuff. But if you don't, this is actually your dad teaching this to you. So um, the other reason that I'm qualified to do this is because really for the past, I'll say, 10 years, the team I lead has 100 to 150 families call us every month to get started on buying a home. And what's interesting about that is it's one of the few, I was thinking about this before the podcast, it's one of the few jobs that I know of where someone calls a complete total stranger and bear with me people because I like to use analogies. You may have heard that in past podcasts, but really pulls down their underpants. And, and what I mean by that is whether you go talk to your counselor or your physician or your minister, your friends, I just don't even really know of any position, maybe financial advisor, where people open themselves up and show you everything. So if you called me tomorrow and said, Greg, I'd like you to help me buy a house, I'm going to look at your credit. Well, that's a real psychological profile. How do you spend? How do you, you know, how do you manage money? Um, and you're rated, you're graded on a scale in terms of how safe you are as a risk. You're going to tell me where all your money is. And it's fascinating. And I've been doing this for 20 years to, to have these conversations. We have about eight families call us a day where you just get such a huge spectrum of Americans calling you and saying, here's where I am financially. Here's my income. Here's my job. Here's my spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend's job. Uh, here's how much money we have saved. And you just lay it out on the line because guess what? That's what you do when you're trying to buy your biggest investment, which is a home. Uh, you know, and people forget that we're borrowing half a million bucks just on our signature. Um, and these these mortgage companies have a lot of questions. So I get to just see what the average American looks like. And I'll tell you, listener, it's not what you'd think. Um, I do a lot of loans for over 55 senior communities. And the amount of seniors I see who are living off a pension and have $40,000 in their 65, I, it just kind of it doesn't break your heart. But, you know, that's their story and they're going to find a way. But, man... What a tough spot to be in, you know, and then I think I mentioned in a past podcast, I've got an 18-year-old trying to buy a house who's crazy financially responsible, budgets, saves, does amazing things. And then I also get to just see what we know to be true, which is I think the numbers like 70% of Americans couldn't come up with $1,000. And I don't have that fact exactly right, but it's a, it's a over half if something happened and you said, where would you come up with a grand for an emergency? They don't have it. And I do see that. 
um, played out all the time. I also see really people's secrets. And I'll, I'll give you a hint. The person that I'm stereotyping, but the person who oftentimes looks like they have money and money is a part of their persona and wealth is something they project. Not a lot, but frequently behind the scenes, it's a house of cards. It's a shell game. And sometimes that's interesting too, because you really see leverage, debt. And I'll have times where I'll hang up and I'll be like, wow, the stress that person must carry just to try to make ends meet and keep up this image in the community of what it must look like. So anyway, between my background in education and between how many families we talk to, and unfortunately I care, I wish I didn't. A lot of my competition don't. It's just going through the motions and sign here, sign here. Here's your interest rate. We care and we do a ton of education with our customers. So that brings us to today. Um, What, Greg, in your opinion, after talking to all these people, what are the three most basic moves that a family should execute on well in order to build wealth? And remember, the other thing about building wealth is separate from like, don't, don't think rich, um, think stress, think comfort, think self-actualization. What does that mean? Well, that means that you're so not worried about your basic needs and you're so not worried about tomorrow and how you pay, pay for the things you need that you can start to think about other things, altruistic things, taking care of others, educating yourself, doing a hobby. These are higher level things. So when we talk about wealth, I'm not talking about big yachts and jets and things like that. I'm talking about being comfortable, um, being secure and being able to wake up and not worry and pursue the other things in life. So here it is, folks. I'm going to just roll them off real quick. First, we're going to talk about budgeting. That's one. Second, we're going to talk about savings. And then third, we're going to talk about investing. So it's that simple. One, two, three, savings. We'll chat for a bit. Number two, um, sorry, budgeting is the first one. We'll chat for a bit. Number two is savings. And then number three is where you invest your money. So with that being said, here we go. The most fundamental pillar of building wealth is creating a personal family budget. And I can't tell you how few families do it because I ask, you know, Hey, Greg, ring, ring. Uh, Hey, how much, how much house should I buy? How much payment can I afford? And unfortunately, you know, Fred, Sally, that's not for me to do. I can tell you what you qualify for, but mortgage people qualify for people for way more house than they should buy. I mean, I should, I can sink people because we can really go up to almost 50% of your gross income in terms of your monthly outlay. And, and we won't go too much into that, but basically if you gross 10 grand a month or 120K a year, I can pretty much put you in a $5,000 total payment per month, which is probably you've got no business being in that. So don't ask the lender how much you can afford. What does your budget tell you? And of course that leads to, well, I don't really do a budget. And what you'll hear is that, well, I, I do a budget and I don't know. You'll hear that. And then you'll also hear, I do a budget, but I don't write it down. I just do it in my head. Um, And what we know is that there's a rhythm and a discipline to, on a monthly basis, 
projecting the future, looking at your money, making tough decisions, and then at the end of the month, reflecting back on how you did. So I personally think the number one pillar of building wealth is having, I mean, guys, we're talking a simple Excel spreadsheet that you sit down religiously around the beginning of the month, 30th, 31st, 1st, or 2nd, and you look at the money that comes in, you know your paychecks, you look at the money that's going to come in during the month, and then that's on one side of the, of the budget column, and then on the other is going to be what you owe. And there's going to be the routine bills you owe, house, car, insurance. And, and then there's going to be these things that are coming up that month, clothes for the kids to go back to school, um, anniversary date night, um, your annual car tax bill. And then around the beginning of the month, looking at how much is coming in and how much is going out and making some tough, proactive decisions. And I think the American family just really struggles with budgeting because they're lacking the discipline. And I think, candidly, they're lacking the education on how easy it is to do. How many things do we wish we would do that we don't? And we all know it's just getting started and how challenging it can be building positive behavioral traits and budgeting is one of them. So I'm not going to brag, but I'm going to tell you, I went into a coaching program. I'll, I'll just, I'll advertise it. It's called the core C O R E. They train realtors and mortgage lenders and it's legit, man. It is very expensive and you've got to make a certain amount of money to get in and they promise big promises and they work you to the bone and it works. And most of what I'm going to tell you comes from what I've learned from my training, from my time in the core training program. And, um, the core makes you do a personal budget every month. And so that was probably 2015, 2016 when I started and you've got to turn it in or you get fined. And not only do you turn your budget in, but all your other classmates turn their budget in and guess what? They hand them out to each other. And so suddenly you're in this room with these people and you're able to look at their own personal family budget. I remember there was this guy who wasn't earning well and he was in a country club and it was nuts. I mean, this country club is like four grand a month and uh, clearly he couldn't afford it and he kept doing it anyway. So, you know, personal family budget is very personal and I'm proud to tell you that almost without fail since 2015, every month at the beginning of the month, I find I steal away two, three hours. I look at the money coming in. I look at the money coming out going out and I do my personal family budget. And towards the bottom of the budget, the one I use, it, it's your net worth, which is how much do you owe and how much do you have? And I have had the privilege of watching that number change over time, probably from a negative number. In other words, I owed more than I had to now a real positive number. And whether it's 10 million, 5 million, 1 million, it really doesn't matter. It's because that's subjective and, and money doesn't breed happiness. But it's a number I thought that I'd never reach when only 10 years ago, I didn't have a dime to my name. Well, Greg, why did you become more wealthy? I really think a lot of it was the frequency of the responsibility of doing my budget and doing it on a monthly basis. And um, I think you manifest things in the world. And when you think about your money and you project your money and then the month kicks your ass and you're like, damn, that didn't work. And you rally and you, you put it all together and you just go through that washing machine of budgeting every month for years 
you just get pretty good at it. And I think your psychology and your subconscious starts to really think about what you can do and, and how money works in a way it didn't before. So guys, number one pillar of wealth is to do a monthly family budget, to do it religiously. Uh, don't make it hard. I'm going to tell you where my sheet is. I teach budgeting classes. So as a part of what we do for our families, we offer a Zoom where people join and they can join whenever they want. And we teach the personal family budget. So we do it every two months and you're welcome to join. My website is gregcowart.com or you can go to thecowartteam.com. And on that website under the resources tab is the budget. It's funny because I have a lot of people be like, well, I don't know where to start. Literally, it's like start with Excel, create three columns, but you don't even need to do that. If you don't know where to start, feel free to go to my website, gregcoward.com, and just go into resources and download the Excel sheet. And then separate from the Excel sheet, we have some tips and tricks on how it works. And then you're welcome, guys, whether you're in Alaska or Guam or Florida, or if you're right here in Virginia where I live, you're welcome to join our calls. No charge, no obligation, where we go over the budget other families are asking, well, how do you handle this? How do you handle that? Um, and it's just showing up. It's just chopping wood. It's just getting some success, getting some momentum. And I really believe if you can make it through three months of doing it, it'll be something you hopefully will do for your lifetime. And we'll look back and, and accumulate money and say, well, gosh, where did this start? And, and how did this happen? And really, it happens with the discipline of the personal family budget. All right, couple questions I get. Uh, what form to use? We just talked about that. Use whatever form, but if you don't know what form, go to my website. Feel free to download the one we use. Um, Greg, I kind of do all of the money stuff for my family. My spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife is not going to like this. They hate this stuff. No problem. I personally believe you're better off doing it yourself. If you're listening to this podcast, you're motivated, you care about money, just do it yourself for three months. Do it for the whole family and just do it yourself. Don't tell them what you're doing. Don't brag. Don't ask for their help. After three months, say, hey, hey, significant other, come over here. Check out what I'm doing. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. It's not like, oh, I'm going to change our lives. You're showing them something that you actually believe in, that you've had some success in. And I think it's a lot easier to join a parade that's marching or to hop on a boat that's going somewhere. And I think you're much more likely to get your spouse to say, huh, that's cool. And I know in my house and in a lot of houses, one person of the couple leads this out for effort and then consults with the other. I do know of some families who truly sit down and do it together. That's great. I know of some families where the other person wants nothing to do with it, but that would be my advice if you're in a relationship. Um, other question we get, I don't want to have to track everything I'm spending. The personal budget is not for everything you're spending. So what you're going to do is you're going to carve out a hole. You're going to carve out a pot of money that you're going to call spending money. And if your spouse is like, Ooh, I don't want you micromanaging me, which they're going to not want you to micromanage them. Help them understand that whether it's a 250 or a thousand bucks a month, you're going to be given a pot of money and you can spend it however you want, but you have to stay within this bucket, within this range. And you're going to find the significant other can be down with that. Everyone can get that. You know, whether you love buying cigars or flowers 
or like me, I like buying trees. Um, I know that's weird, but I love trees. Uh, you know, hey, as long as it doesn't exceed 250, you go wild. Um, that may be the rule in the personal family budget. So I hope that helps, guys. It doesn't take that long. You're supposed to really only do it once a month, and then you're welcome to halfway through the month kind of look at stuff. But man, I talk to people who are kind of keeping all this stuff in their head, and, and it doesn't work. Sit down, put it down on paper, and then start to learn over time. All right, so I hope that was helpful. Pillar number one is do a monthly personal family family budget. Don't know where to find one. Just visit us, gregcoward.com. Download it and you're rolling. All right, number two. Now, and number two doesn't work if you don't do number one. And that's why number one is number one. Number two is save money, which is so hard. It's really hard to do. Uh, I get to talk to all those folks and I'll tell you, you will outspend whatever you make. You will and can outspend whatever you make. Well, Greg, I make 50 grand. God, if I could only make 100 grand, things would be so much better. Nope, it's not how it works. As your income grows, your spending will grow as well. Sorry. I do see exceptions to it, but very rarely. It takes tremendous self-discipline to keep your spending at a 50K level when you make 100K. People spend whatever they make. We all do it. And if you don't do a budget and then you don't focus on savings... You're not going to accumulate wealth. Well, Greg, what's the rule? I mean, how much should I save? Well, first of all, anything is better than nothing. I mean, literally, if you can save 10 bucks and put it separately on the side, be be happy about that. We also know you should save first. And what that means is you'll know from the budgeting, if you attend my class, that we're going to basically empty out the money that we have left over. We're going to take it out of our checking account. And what that means is that every month you're going to go to zero. So uh, as I record this, it's like the 27th and I do well, I make a lot of money, but I'm actually worried because I only got about 400 bucks left in my account right now for the next two days. And the reason I did that is because on the first of the month, I moved all my excess money out because we're going to spend everything we have. So move it out, put it into savings, and then try to make it work for the rest of the month. If you go under, you have an overdraft account you can pull out of and I can I'll teach you how that works. But uh, the, the key fundamental of savings is pay yourself first, move that money out of your account. How much should I save? Well, we'd love to see 20% of your gross income. So if you make 120K a year, that's 10K a month, we'd love to see you save 2K a month. Hard to do. Don't start there. Start just with any savings at first. Then maybe work up to 20% of your net income. You know, if you make 10K, you really don't take home 10K. Unfortunately, you take home about 6K by the time 401K comes out and health insurance comes out and taxes come out. So in that case, 20% would be 1200 bucks, or 600 times two, the way my brain works. So love to see you get to 20%. Yes, I'd love to see it be 20% of gross. Well, Greg, I can save more than that in a, in a month. Fantastic. We can talk about where you can put that, but for most folks, just even getting two grand in savings for an emergency fund would be step one. And when you visit our personal budget class, that's the first thing we try to do. Just overcome the percentage and be one of the 30% of people in our country who actually have a thousand bucks in case of emergency. After that, some people will have to pay down some debt through a debt snowball before they can really start to save because their earnings aren't high enough to have excess money left over because their debt load is so high. 
So for some people, the first road to savings is to tackle some of their smaller debts and make some process there. Um, so number two is savings. You're going to have a separate account. You're going to move that money over at the beginning of the month, and you're going to watch it accumulate. All right, let's move to number three. I'm doing my monthly budget. I don't like it, but actually after about three months, it's a part of what I do. It's a part of my cycle. It's part of my monthly, how I interact with money on a monthly basis. I'm saving something, whether it's 500 bucks a month, whether it's $10,000 a month, the personal budget will help you. And by the way, the 401k contribution does count towards your savings. So I go back into my paycheck and I see how much came out for 401k and I enter that in a line and that is a part of my savings. Number three will be now that you have the savings, where do you invest it? Quick story, back to the core coaching. Um, it's a super competitive Uber alpha group of people and they track everything. They track your charity giving, they track your units, how many mortgages you do or real estate you sell. They track how much money you make. But what they rank people off of and what really matters is how much money you save. And on my calls, the winner of the call every month would be the person who had the highest percentage of savings versus their income. So you'd have this dude, and maybe let's just make up a number. He made a hundred grand in a month. Wow, hundred grand in a month. But he saved ten grand. And then you'd have this this other dude, and he would make ten grand in a month. But he would save six k. I mean, that's sixty percent of his gross earnings were saved. And and you can see the more you get your income up and the more you get your debts down, you can see some crazy numbers over time. And guess what? Even though the guy made 10 grand that month, he won the call. Um, so remember, don't think in terms of how much money you make. Think about percentage saved. Uh, I have a story of my, my grandmother who was a secretary for um, the military down in Atlanta, Georgia. And when she suddenly passed away, the whole family was shocked. I don't think she made over $40,000 once in her life. And this was a long time ago in the 70s and 80s. And she had well over a million dollars laying around just because she didn't spend a lot. And she was a great saver. So guys, don't think that you can't build wealth unless you make a million bucks a year. It's not the case. It's really much more you're going to spend whatever you make. It's more about the discipline of savings. All right. So Greg, where do I put that money? Investing so complex, where, if I'm going to save and save this amount, where do I put it? Well, first of all, number one, we're going to go through three things. First thing you should do is you should put money into a 401k through work. Uh, 401k money is pre-tax. And so the money goes into the account before the government takes their 30-40%. So, I mean, the moment you move $1,000 into a 401k, you really moved over $1,300, $1,400 because that, that didn't get taxed. Now, 401ks are limited. The government changes the number every year. Right now, I think it's sitting between 17 and 20k. So you can't put any more in than that in a year. But and by, by the way, guys, some, some companies will match or match up to a portion of your money in the 401k. So no matter what you do, if your company matches 5k, please put the money in a 401k. That's, that's 5k you're throwing away if you don't save. And the 401k is pre-tax. What does pre-tax mean again? It means it's worth 30% more than what you thought it was. So 401k would be number one. And that money does count towards your savings goals on your personal budget. 
Number two. Number two is to put money in the stock market. Oh man, that sounds scary. Do I buy Exxon? Do I buy Tesla? What do I do? Nope, you don't do any of that. You simply invest money into an S&P index fund. So S&P index funds, investing has gotten easier than ever. TD Ameritrade, whatever different platform you want, there's super low fee or no fee S&P index funds, and you're going to invest whatever you want to invest there. Well, what the hell is an S&P index fund? The S&P is the Standard and Poor's 500. These are 500 of the safest, biggest companies in the United States. And when you put a thousand bucks in, you get a little piece of all 500. And the S&P index funds wins by not losing. And it wins by not winning. It is such a mass of what the stock market is. It just goes up over time. The S&P index's average return is somewhere over the past 50 years over 10%. And that's an amazing return on investment. You're not having to pay money to invest in it. It's no load. You're not having to pay a financial advisor. And guys, ironically, and I do use a financial advisor, financial advisors have a trouble beating the S&P 500 index. It's so solid because it doesn't mess up because it's such an average of all these great companies that it's hard to even earn more than 10. And candidly, you really don't need to because the risk is so minimal. So number one, 401k. Number two, whatever money you've got left over after you've built up your emergency fund, stick it in the S&P 500 index. And you can just move it over monthly in there. And now you're dealing with compounding interest and all this wonderful stuff which accumulates money over time. Final one is buy real estate. Buy a primary residence. You got to live somewhere. House values go up anywhere between 3%. Recent years, we've seen 25% appreciation here in the town I'm in. Yes, that's high. It won't last. It doesn't. But typically, since World War II, we see appreciation in the United States somewhere around 5%. Got to live somewhere. Make that mortgage payment every month. How much you owe goes down. Let appreciation do its thing. Over time, it goes up at 5%, let's say, 10% in the good years. And then over time, you have this delta between what you owe and what your house is worth. And right now in the United States, we're at record equity levels because of, you know, how many over 60% of Americans own a home. And we've seen just record appreciation in recent years. So guys, that's it. The secret of building wealth. Number one, do a monthly personal family budget. Do it every month. Don't care if you're good at it or not. None of us. Whatever we do, we're not great at it at the beginning. It's okay. You know, great is the enemy of good. Just just show up and do your personal family budget. It will teach you over time as you learn how your own money works. Number two, try to save 20% of your gross income, but it, that's down the road. Just save anything. Move that money out at the beginning of the month so you can't spend it. And then number three is invest in your 401k first an S&P index fund second, and then finally buy a primary residence. If you do want to buy an investment property, maybe we can talk about that being a play. Real estate typically depend upon where you live um, is a safe investment over time, but we do well with money by not losing. And someone a lot smarter than me taught me that you just put money in different buckets and you know that every one of the buckets at any one time is going to be doing better and worse. But 
they all move up together over time. And that's how you build wealth. So guys, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast where we talked about the three pillars of wealth. I know it sounds so simple and you know what it is, but sometimes simple so hard and simple takes such discipline, whether that's exercise or eating or communicating with our loved ones. Um, simple's tough. So, um, remember the first pillar is the personal budget. Visit us at gregcoward.com, uh, download a free budget, no strings attached. Um, and if you like it, visit the website as well. We do bi bi-monthly personal budget classes. They're in the evening, I think on a Wednesday or Thursday night, it's a zoom call. You can join from anywhere in the U S and, uh, just listen. You could hop on the call, not turn on the camera and just listen to the other families talk about the progress they're making. Or if you've done it a couple times, come on on and learn, teach someone a tip or, or share something positive. But we're here to help us all move forward. And I really feel like finances and budgeting or uh, building wealth is a real weakness um, in the American culture right now. And um, sometimes, you know, it's karate kid stuff, man. It's wax on, wax off. If you've seen that movie, it's let me just show you the basics and then keep doing the basics over time and watch you you know, watch what a great fighter you become when you just learn these basic moves. And, uh, I want you personally, Greg Coward wants you to, uh, have some benefit from hanging out with me for a few minutes today. And that would be that a year from now, by doing those three things, you're going to look back and your personal net worth is going to be much greater than it would have been if you would have not done that. So guys, um, thanks for joining us here on the straight talk podcast. Again, my name is Greg Coward. We do these Pretty much every two weeks I do them and I throw them up. We've talked about land. We've talked about the economy. We're going to keep visiting these. If you like it, listen. If you don't, skip to the next one. But I hope you got some value out of today. Really so much appreciate you joining me. I hope you have a great week and a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Straight Talk Podcast. I hope it's been time well spent. If you have questions, topics you'd like to see me cover, want to connect, just reach out to me, gregcowart.com. Now go. Make it a great day.